Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus was, went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Well, last week we began a new series in which Jesus told a parable, which was his preferred method of teaching. And before we start to unpack the stories that Mal just read for us here this morning, I actually want to go back and retell that parable because we're going to tie the two things together. This one comes from just a couple of chapters later in Mark's Gospel where Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Last week we talked about the seed being the seed of the message of the kingdom, which carries with it an invitation to see the world differently and then to act on this new understanding. And so we're going to be spending the next few weeks learning about what happens to the seed that is sown on these various places, what happens to the seed that is sown on the path. We'll talk about that this morning. And then we'll talk about the seed that is sown on rocky places and on thorns and eventually what happens to the seed that is sown on good soil. We're going to use some stories from Mark's gospel that help us illustrate the different ways that people respond to the good news of Jesus. And so the first story that we're going to look at is actually a pair of stories, a paralyzed man and a tax collector. It begins out by saying that the people gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And I was thinking when I was reading this, I was trying to picture it in my head, this happening and all these people coming to hear this, this new teacher who was on the scene and wanting to, to gather around to hear him, but realizing that there, the house was full and that actually there wasn't even any room in the, kind of the overflow area. And I had this image of like waiting in line at an amusement park for a roller coaster. And it's like you're in line and then you're counting and you're, you're tr kind of imagining like, how many people are in line in front of you and then the person and sits there and they close the gate like right in front of you and you're like no come on like there's got to be one more space but there's not and you're left out 
It should always happen just behind you, right? The person behind you should be the one that gets cut off. So people were coming to hear Jesus, but they couldn't actually make their way close enough to hear him. And so the story continues. But Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't stop. He couldn't wait for everyone to get in. And so the Bible says that he preached the word to them. Now, Mark uses the same word here that he uses in the parable, this word logon, this Greek word. So this idea of like the seed being the word that is sown. And so Jesus shares the word. He preaches the word to this crowd gathered in this house. It's the same term that Paul uses in Philippians 2.16 as he encourages his readers to hold out the word of life. And that's what Jesus is doing to this packed house. He's holding out to them the word of life. He's sowing seeds into their lives. Now, some people couldn't get in, so they had to get creative. And it's a familiar story about these guys who had this paralyzed friend, and they were like, we got to get him in to see this special teacher. We hear that he's performing miracles, and so they somehow dig a hole in the roof of the house. Hard for us to imagine, given the way that roofs are constructed in this part of the world at this point in history, but they dug through the materials of the roof. They lowered this man down on a mat in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these friends, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man whose faithful friends had lowered him down through the roof got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. The seed was scattered, and in this case, it resulted in faith, in forgiveness, and in healing. Well, in the second story, Jesus goes out beside a lake, and another crowd gathers. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Tax collectors, this was a big deal because tax collectors were not exactly the accepted kind of people at that point in history. Today, people take our taxes. We don't know who they are. They're faceless people. They just are out there. It comes off our paycheck. We don't think about it. But in this day, a tax collector would have been someone who would not have been expected to become a follower of this new wandering rabbi, this teacher. But he gets up. He leaves everything. He follows Jesus. Once again, the seed is scattered, and it results in a new follower. From a new follower, Levi decides to host a dinner party, and he invites a house full of people. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And so two back-to-back stories in Mark about the kind of growth that a seed can produce. And wouldn't it be great if all of the seed that a farmer scattered fell on good soil like this? If everyone who Jesus held the word of life out to actually received forgiveness, experienced healing, and was ready to drop everything to follow him. If everyone that we held the word of life out to, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, still wanted to join us for a raucous dinner party after we had held out to them the word of life, wouldn't that be great? Well, that's not actually how the story went for Jesus, and unfortunately, it's quite often not how it goes for us either. I have a confession to make. This morning, I intentionally cut important parts of these stories out so we could temporarily avoid the uncomfortable truth that sometimes the seed that is scattered, even by Jesus, falls along a path and is almost immediately scooped up by the birds. As the late radio show host Paul Harvey used to say, now the rest of the story. So let's start by going back to the first scene where Jesus had just announced that this paralyzed man's sins are forgiven. What actually happens in this story? Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking. 
But, is this, but this is such good news. You might think you're looking at this. He's just like announced forgiveness out of nowhere. You think, why does someone have a problem with this? Like here they are. They're saying like, this is blasphemy. Why is this guy talking like this? Sins are being forgiven. Shouldn't this be something that they're excited about? Well, some people have a way of turning even the best news of all into something negative. Take a look at the screen. Pass the stuffing? Sure. Debbie, stuffing? Hey, Frank, did you cook this in the bird? Yeah, soaks up all the juices. <laughs> also soaks up an array of harmful bacteria, creating a breeding ground for foodborne illnesses. <laughs> That's my birthday. Open oh. mind there, oh. Ronnie. Oh, oh. <laughs> Let me see what what could it be? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, it's a minute bowl. This is awesome. I love this. Thank you so much. Oh, hey, you know what? We gotta take that out on the lake. We gotta go fishing sometime. We should go Saturday. Oh, that sounds fun. It's a deal. Oh, I like it. Oh, count me out, guys. Doctor said if I don't cut down on my consumption of fish, my mercury level will reach toxic proportions. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now in fairness, the teachers of the law weren't exactly Debbie Downers. It's not like they just had to be negative. At face value, their religious response was born out of a genuine concern. They were concerned for right doctrine. As far as they were concerned, as the ones who were teaching the law, God had set out how forgiveness works. There was a system of sacrifices, there was a system of, of laws to be obeyed, the, the priest would be the one involvement, involving and announcing the sins of the people. Like, there was an elaborate scheme to go through. And this is actually how God had revealed the way things to be. And so, for their concern about this, it wasn't like it was totally illegitimate. They were thinking, you know, we know how this works. We know the right way to be forgiven, and this is not it right here. Even a legitimate concern can prevent the good news from taking root. Root. For me, this is a perfect example of what Jesus was talking about then in the parable. The teachers of the law, they were hearing the good news, the same as everyone else. The seed was being scattered, but it was snatched away from them. Why? Because they were confident that they knew best. So they missed out on the amazing thing that was happening right in front of them. The Son of God was right there forgiving sin. They had been told that this is how sins are going to be forgiven. But right here, God was demonstrating a new way of forgiveness. And so in this case, the birds came in the form of a misunderstanding about what was right. The idea that they knew better snatched that good news away as soon as it was being sown. Now, a similar situation arises at the dinner party that Levi hosts after leaving his tax booth. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, who, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, again, in a Jewish culture that prided itself on separation of the sacred from the profane, this was an unacceptable blurring of boundaries. And again, this is not just something they made up, something that in the Old Testament laws, there was a lot of examples about how people who were unclean in any way had to be kept separate. And God's people were supposed to be holy. They were supposed to stay away from anything that could defile them. And so these people, these sinners, these tax collectors, these people who were involved with trades that wouldn't be accepted, you have to stay away from them. You certainly can't dip your hand into the same bowl as them. You can't eat from the same loaf. You can't share food and drink in a good time with them. 
So again, there's some concern here that has legitimacy. But here Jesus was embodying an embrace of outsiders, but the shockingly good news that was being enacted at Levi's party was snatched away before it could take root. In this case, the birds came in the form of a misunderstanding about who was in and who was out. The idea that a person's behavior somehow excluded them from encountering the love of God over a meal snatched the good news away. Now, a little while ago, our family went through a Burger King drive-thru, and I don't know, if you have a family and you go through a drive-thru, you know what I'm talking about. It's a mess. You know, we get up to the window, and everyone in the van is just like, okay, I want this, I want that. I'm driving, so I'm somehow supposed to interpret this, and Melissa always makes fun of me because she's just like, you get so anxious when you're at the drive-thru window, but it's because there are four people behind me yelling out their orders and changing their orders. No, actually, I want it with no pickles, but I want extra this, or no, I want this, and they're all saying things, and I mess it up, and then they're correcting me, and it's just a hodgepodge of whatever. People are ordering things that aren't even on the menu. So we're sitting here at the window, and I'm trying, you know, to explain this. And it didn't help that the person on the other side had no clue what they were doing. Like, they were really misinterpreting everything that I was saying. And so eventually we got it all figured out. We were honestly in line for probably 15 minutes. And we get around. We got some of our food given to us. And then, uh, is there anything else? He said, well, we need some straws for the drinks. That'd be great. And some napkins. So off goes the gal to go get us the straws and napkins. And as she's out getting the straws and napkins, another person, another employee walks up to the window and she leans out with a bag of food and she says, are you Jessica? Now I'm thinking, do I look like a Jessica? Do I have to answer this question? Like, can I not just, can you not just look at me and know the answer to this question? I said, no, I'm not Jessica. And that became kind of a joke for the rest of the week. Like, I don't understand how that mistake can be made. And we might look at a story like this and say, like, how on earth could the Pharisees be so blind? I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. He was announcing the good news of the kingdom, and they totally missed it. They totally missed it. It was right in front of them. How could they be so blind? Jesus said that some people are like seed along a path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. This is the explanation he gives to his parable. Now, we could skip over the reference to Satan. That would be convenient, but it would also be naive of us. Now, I'm going to ask you to do uh, yourselves a favor and try to dismiss the idea of a little red creature with horns and a pitchfork sitting on your shoulder whispering into your ear. This is kind of this caricature of, of Satan. Uh, we want to get that out of our minds. But what we do want to acknowledge, because Jesus said, you know, part of what happens when the farmer goes to scatter his seed is that, is that Satan comes and snatches that word away. So we have to acknowledge the reality of this. Satan, this personification of evil and of every thought that leads us away from God. Perhaps the most dangerous thoughts of all are the ones that we're convinced have come from God to show us how God wants to think and act in the world. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so it shouldn't be surprising that some of the things that we misunderstand are very close to what's true. I read this book a while ago. Uh, it was written in 1927 by an author named John Buchan. It's called Witchwood. And it's a story, it actually takes place centuries earlier, of a, of a pastor who comes to this little town and this village, and this is his new charge. He's supposed to be a pastor to these people, and he finds out that they are living these kind of like wicked lives and, and all the rest of it. But as the story goes along, he actually begins to, to understand why they live the lives they do, and, and he begins to question some things about his own version of faith and how he understands faith. And at one point, the narrator says, he was coming to doubt 
whether the insistence upon minute conformities of outward conduct and the hair-splitting doctrines were not devices of Satan to entangle souls. I mean, think about it. It wouldn't be much of a strategy for the enemy to try to convince me to just start living a life of unbridled debauchery and just abandon my faith together. If that was an enemy's attack, that's just not going to happen. But what if I could be convinced to just believe something that's just a little bit off, something that, that would just be enough to distract me from getting to the core of what a life of faith is all about? Like the teachers of the law, I could probably be distracted by something that has the appearance of good news, like being right or knowing who's in and who's out. And so Jesus warns us that this arch enemy of ours is intent on stealing away the true message of the kingdom that would otherwise be taking root in us. Now, Matthew's version of the parable adds a detail that I think helps us make sense of this. So in Matthew 13, 19, we read, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So in Matthew's version, Jesus expands a little bit. He says, it's not just that the enemy comes and steals it away, but it's, he says, it's when you don't understand the message of the kingdom, that's when the seed has been snatched away from you. So understanding the message is key. Thomas Merton says, the devil does his best work of entangling souls, not by light, but by obscurity, not by realities, but by shadows, by pushing us encouraging us to believe something that is just a little off, to keep things foggy in our minds. And so the teachers of the law illustrate how easily the good news can be snatched away if we fail to understand the heart of it. Is there anything that can stop these birds of misunderstanding from stealing the seed that God intends to root in our lives? Well, how did Jesus respond to this seed snatching? We'll go back to Mark chapter 2. And so the, the story of the paralyzed man and and Jesus announces the forgiveness of his sins, the teachers of the law are like, wait a second, this guy has no right to say this. He's blaspheming. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus responds by saying, I want you to know. You're misunderstanding what's going on here. You think I'm blaspheming. You think I have no right and authority to do this, but I actually want to demonstrate that I do have the authority to do this. I want you to know the truth about who's speaking. I'm not just some blasphemer. I'm not just some random person. I actually have the authority to forgive sin, and I'm going to demonstrate that authority by healing this man, and he does that. So he wanted them to know the truth. They were misunderstanding who he was, and they were misunderstanding uh, what was right and what was wrong. And so Jesus comes, and he corrects their thinking. At Levi's house, then, the second story that we looked at, their concern was that Jesus shouldn't be hanging around these kinds of people that he was eating dinner with. So Jesus responds by letting him know his purpose. He's like, why is he hanging around tax collectors and sinners? Why are you doing this? You know you're not supposed to be eating dinner with people. These people are outsiders. They're unclean. You shouldn't be with them. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so again, Jesus steps in. He understands that, that they are missing the point here. 
that they thought that all the way along God wanted people to be outside of his kingdom, that God wanted people to be outside of his reach, that people need to just stay away. He thought that, they thought that that was the point. And Jesus says, no, I want you to know what's true here. The truth is that I've come for the sinners. I've come for the tax collectors. I've come to invite everyone in to share this meal with me. Obscurity is replaced with light. Shadows are replaced with reality. And Jesus gets right back to sowing the seed of the kingdom in their lives. He corrects the misunderstanding, the thoughts that were, that were off just by a bit, and he invites them to embrace his, the message of the kingdom. Whenever misunderstanding prevents the message of the kingdom from taking root, Jesus responds by revealing himself, who he is, what he came to do. And it's accepting this by faith that Jesus is who he says he is that allows the seed to take root. So whenever we find ourselves in a place of misunderstanding, whenever we're going to ask these questions, like, am I believing something that, that maybe I shouldn't be believing? We want to look to Jesus. Who has he revealed himself to be? Who did he say he was? Why did he say he came? What did he say that he did? Look at him. Listen to his words. And that's going to help us clear up these misunderstandings and prepare the soil for growth. I'm going to wrap up with just uh, an image that came across my computer this week. Uh, there's this thing in our neighborhood, uh, it's called Nextdoor. It's like a neighborhood kind of social network uh, where you can kind of chat with your neighbors about what's going on. And uh, there was a post last week that, was like th that came with these images, and it, I'll read it for you if you can't uh, see those words. Wolves passed. Just now, two wolves passed by in my backyard, reminding everyone, especially the children, to pay attention to safety when walking in the conservation area. No, I looked at this, and for a moment I thought, wolves? What? We have wolves in Laurel Creek? Like, what is going on here? And then I realized they're coyotes. And, I mean, not that you want to, like, mess around with a coyote, but it's no wolf. Like, let's be honest, right? We all know there are coyotes in KW. Wolves would have been another element. And so it's kind of funny as I thought. And then the, the comment thread goes on. People are like, just, hey... Just so you know, not wolves, not wolves. You know, I was thinking about this, this passage and this story and this idea that, that Jesus is saying that, you know, that Satan comes to snatch these seeds away. And I wanted to acknowledge the reality of that. Jesus said this is part of our battle. But I also, I think it's important, like we can be afraid of this. We can, we can be afraid and it can be fearful and but I think, I guess I kind of want to say at the end, like, it's, it's not a wolf, it's a coyote, you know? Like, just be cautious, pay attention. Yes, that's still good advice, but not be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus said, birds are going to come, they're going to snatch up the food. This, this is the way it's going to be. But we can't live in, a, in, in fear of this. We have to live with an attentiveness, an awareness. How is the, maybe the way that we're thinking leading us away from the kingdom? Because as we saw in these stories, Jesus wasn't willing to let the birds have their way with the teachers of the law and the other people he was teaching. He wasn't content. That wasn't the end of the story, that the birds will snatch the seed away and that's it. Jesus actually came back to them, and neither will he leave the seeds of our faith to be picked away at without responding when we call out to him. So we pay attention to the thoughts, to the ideas that we have, and ask ourselves, is this maybe seed being snatched away, and how can I look to Jesus and ask for him to reveal who he is in my life. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful that we can open this book that's been handed down to us and read stories that can inspire us 
in a life of faith. That, that in the midst of all of our own misunderstandings, misconceptions about who you are, about who we are, about what a life of faith is, that in the midst of all of that, we can open the pages of our Bibles, we can see you, we can hear you, and we can know the truth about the good news. And so, God, this morning, I pray that for those of us maybe who have had the seeds of truth snatched away from us, and we feel like we don't even know who you are anymore, we don't know who we are or what we're called to, God, I pray that, that you would step in with truth, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would help us understand who you are, that you are a God who forgives sin, that you are a God who opens your arms to the outsiders. God, I pray that we would know who you are and who we are in turn. And God, I ask that you would protect us from lies, from shadows, from obscurities, from misunderstanding, that you would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.